Hello, can you predict the future? I'm delighted you can join us on Search for Truth today. As usual, I'm with your Bible teacher, Brian Johnston, and this series of studies is called Our God Reigns, the Awesome Sovereignty of God. So, back to the question, can you predict the future? Many people are said to have made predictions and had premonitions, such as Leonardo da Vinci, Nostradamus, Jules Verne, Old Mother Shipton from Yorkshire, and even a cat named Oscar in the United States. Some today are unconvinced and say it's coincidence or informed guesswork. The prophecies of the Bible, on the other hand, are totally precise and accurate to the last detail. We'll see how in Brian's study just now, which shows how the death of Christ, the Son of God, was foreordained from before the beginning of time itself. Here's Brian. Thanks, John. I read of a boy growing up in Britain during the Second World War who soon became aware of how the early days of the war were full of doom and gloom. British forces had to withdraw from Europe. German bombers filled the skies. Survival was marginal. The British Isles were threatened with invasion, its navy being sunk faster than ships could be replaced. But the news broadcasts over the BBC, even amid all the bad news, kept repeating one reassuring sentence. Everything is proceeding according to plan. The boy in our story remembered well his reaction. Whose plan? We need a better one. But despite appearances, the plan worked. God, too, had a plan. It involved sending Jesus into this world and to the city of Jerusalem almost 2,000 years ago. Despite appearances at the time, that plan also worked. Paul's letter to the Ephesians gives us this reassuring sentence, that all was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ephesians 3.11 In the councils of eternity, God the Son joyfully signed his own death warrant, meaning that one day, as the man Christ Jesus, he would go to the cross and die. It was all planned. Not only were we, believers, chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1 and 4, but Christ himself is described as the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world, as John adds in the book of Revelation, chapter 13, verse 8. The decision to create a habitable universe for humanity was thoroughly costed when the Father, Son and Spirit took counsel together in eternity. If they were to act in the creation of this magnificent universe, then they'd inevitably also have to prepare in advance a work of restoration. At least they would if their creation was to be endowed with a free will, which it was. This brings us to three verses which flow from the Apostle Peter's pen. 1 Peter 1 and 18, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. The Father in eternity gave the Son people whom the Spirit would eventually unite to him in history. 
Jesus very clearly says this in his John 17 prayer. In verse 9, Jesus clarifies that the prayer he's offering is not on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, saying this to his father, of course. This is an idea repeated many times in Christ's prayer, that both his prayer and work is on behalf of those whom the Father has given to him, not on behalf of everyone. The culmination of Christ's work was the cross. That foul event was permitted in God's sovereign purpose. It was the most vital part of God's predetermined plan. It was totally successful according to all God's intention. Here are some words from the Apostle Peter, which he preached in Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God, with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. There was nothing incidental, far less accidental, in anything that surrounded the crucifixion of our Lord. Even the detailed manner of Christ's betrayal was part of the plan that worked. On one occasion, it's recorded that Jesus answered his disciples saying, in John 6 and verse 70, Did I myself not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? Now he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. So when choosing the twelve, the Lord had deliberately chosen Judas, fully aware, of course, that his character was devilish, and this would lead him to betray him. And so the scene was set for what is commonly called the Last Supper, which we read about in Matthew 26, verse 21. As they were eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you that one of you will betray me. Being deeply grieved, they each one began to say to him, Surely not I, Lord? And he answered, He who dipped his hand with me in the bowl is the one who will betray me. The Son of Man is to go just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. And Judas, who was betraying him, said, Surely it is not I, Rabbi. Jesus said to him, You have said it yourself. Before the plan had formed in Judas' mind, every detail was known to the Lord, and it was in total agreement with what the Old Testament part of the Bible had predicted. Jesus referred to this in his John 17 prayer. In verse 12, While I was with them, he said, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. And after Christ's resurrection, Peter was once again the spokesman who said to the others in Acts 1 and 16, Brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was counted among us and received his share in this ministry. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let another man take his office. And so they appointed a replacement. Now, to conclude our consideration of how everything about the cross happened according to plan, 
I want us to explore its timing. Matthew in his gospel tells us in 26 and verse 1, when Jesus had finished all these words, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man is to be handed over for crucifixion. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people were gathered together in the court of the high priest named Caiaphas, and they plotted together to seize Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they were saying, not during the festival, otherwise a riot might occur among the people. Notice how those plotting Jesus' death had discounted making their move at the Jewish festival of Passover. But Jesus informed his followers that Passover would, in fact, be the time. The big picture of the Bible reveals his death had to be at Jerusalem. And equally, that same big picture pinpointed the exact moment in history when it would take place. The year, the month, the day, even the hour. The analogy of the Jewish Passover ritual and the revelation of God's program given to the prophet Daniel, taken together, allow us to see this precise level of detail. God had shared with Daniel in chapters 2 and 7 of his book his plan, God's plan, for the Gentile world at large in terms of the four great successive empires from the time of the 6th century BC right through until the time of Christ's return to earth to set up his kingdom. In chapter 9 of Daniel, God now shares with his servant his plan for Daniel's own people, the Jewish people. Verse 24 of chapter 9, 70 weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city, from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. 70 weeks are literally 70 sevens, where each seven is a unit of seven years. These are prophetic years, each of 360 days, which takes the time interval described as a total of 69 weeks to be 476 ordinary solar years, stretching from the restoration of the city by the completion of its wall by Nehemiah in 444 BC, all the way to the cross of Christ in AD 33. Now, from 444 BC to AD 33 is 476 years, exactly. What's more, the Messiah would die at the precise time of the killing of the Passover lambs that year, in one of the two systems then in vogue for reckoning it. Jesus and his disciples celebrated Passover at the time the Galileans did, a full 24 hours ahead of the Judean custom. And that too is a wonderful example of God's sovereignty in the detail. That there were two such systems side by side allowed Jesus to both observe the Passover and also to fulfil it. Finally, the Bible records and history confirms that the birth and death of Jesus Christ was marked by signs in the skies involving the moon and stars. The movement of these heavenly bodies is regular, like a great clock following laws which are known to us. It's wonderful to think of how, in the act of bringing the universe into existence, God set the clock for the moment his son would enter human history in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. 
He marked it in the stars. And from the beginning of time, God also set the clock for the very moment when Jesus, his son as man, would expire on the cross in terms of the lunar eclipse which occurred then. A lunar eclipse which caused the moon to be seen as blood red in colour from Jerusalem. This further testifies that Jesus is the lamb that was slain from the creation of the world and that all proceeded indeed according to plan, God's plan. As our hymn says, love eternal in Christ chose us long ere time its race began. So thanks, Brian, for confirming that in your study today. Remember, these study talks are available to download online or as a transcript book. And here's how to obtain the book. Either you can get it yourself by downloading a copy from churchesofgod.info forward slash media or if you're not able to do that and need to request a hard copy book, just write in and ask for the title, Our God Reigns. You can use email or the post, and here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wootton Bassett, Swindon, SN48DY, UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. Now, many, many thanks for the pleasure of your company today and for giving us your time to listen. Next time, Brian looks at how the nation of Israel was set aside in order to bring non-Jews to enjoy God's blessings. So I hope you'll join me again next time. But for now, it's goodbye and very best wishes from Bible teacher Brian, our producer David, our singers and me, John. So see you again soon, and in the meantime, may God richly bless you. So